This week on the Recruitment Flex, if you're in Qatar for the World Cup and want to drink beer, you're out of luck. New Canadians find it very challenging to get their experience recognized. Shaming hustle culture a bad look? After all, we need to get things done as a society. And ISIM's 2023 Workforce Report. Workers want flexibilities and CEOs want them in the office. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge. And as always, joined by my co-host, Shelly Billinghurst. Shelly, how are you feeling? Hey, Serge. I'm feeling great. How about you? You made a public appearance. I made a public appearance. I'm probably making another one because we've got the recruiter networking group tomorrow, which I think Mm -hmm. is now sold out. Yeah, we made an appearance with, I don't know, how many people were there? Like 300? I believe ticket sales were at about 250 or 280. Well, the room was full and this was our first experience being MCs for a gig. How do you think it went, Shelly? I've gotten really positive feedback. I think they felt entertained and had some good disruptive presenters. Yeah, I got the same feedback, but it's really hard mm. to say. Maybe we really sucked and no one told us because no one would tell us that, man, you guys were, we're too horrible. Canadian for that. Yeah, we're way too Canadian. So I guess we'll see if anyone approaches us to do anything like this again. If not, probably not a good sign, but that's okay, Shelly. <laughs> I know how challenging these events are to pull off and Michelle and the crew at Elevate HR did a really good job. Like it went really really seamless. The speakers were great. The topics were disruptive. Some not as disruptive. Like I guess it depends on what part of HR you're coming from. It -hmm. was fascinating because just looking at the audience, I would say it was 95% female. Would you agree with that? I didn't see many males in the audience. And the average age was between 20 and 30. We're probably like 60% of the audience. Did you notice the same? I did. Yeah. I did. And I noticed (laughs) how much you were enjoying that. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? Young, beautiful women. Serge, you've got three daughters. You're surrounded by women. Your co-host on the podcast is a woman. You're right. Like Your observation is absolutely accurate. I was very surprised how few men were in the audience, but how young. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, it makes me question. I'm like, how can we get men more involved in HR? I know there is more men in HR that there's been in the past, but when we look at every part of the business. Hey, we want more women in a particular sector. Why are men not opting into HR? It's very similar. I remember hiring drivers, right? And it was one of my missions was to hire more women. Challenge I had, it wasn't always a welcoming environment for them. And are we seeing that with HR and men? Are they coming in and not feeling the same welcome that they eventually go into another part of the business and we're losing a skill set that could be very useful in HR. The goal is Mm -hmm. different ways of thinking is critical in each department. I was very encouraged that there was a lot of young people, which made it actually better for us because I was less afraid of saying something that was going to offend. But the other flip side, I kind of wanted to say something to offend. There's like that mixture, but... You did manage to offend 
One person, at least. Who did I offend? So there's no sales pitches, obviously, in any of the presenters. But there was a major sponsor who was allowed to come up and pitch, like sell to the whole audience. And PayWorks, pardon me, sorry about this. But to stand up and read slides that has more than 150 words on it was torture. And so when he came off the stage and you go, payroll, well, that's disruptive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was like I think Michelle was going to kill you because <laughs> they were a major sponsor. Well, in all fairness, I'm going to give you some inside baseball here. Someone on the Elevate HR team came to me being like, this speech has been really long. You should throw in a joke about it. Not for Michelle, but there was some instructions internally. Oh, and- like, honestly, I'm sorry, Mr. Payworks, but you know what, read your audience and the venue was disruptive and you're going to read me slides about your 500 locations across Canada. And the slides were put together last minute. I'll give you a little bit of the back. Oh, that's right. The person who was supposed to do it. The guy came and and then he comes to me. He's like, hey, my boss says he has some slides. How do I get them in? So I connected to the person at Elevate to help him out. I didn't realize it was going to be a full-blown presentation. And I don't think anyone realized. But anyways, it is what it is. I've been to some disrupt HR speeches where it's a five-minute sales pitch, and that's the absolute worst. At least Payworks put money behind this, right? Like they sponsored it. So I guess- Yeah, okay, fair enough. So speaking of sponsorship, no beer at FIFA, Serge, I got to get your take on this because I know I've got a thought process around this, but- What's your take on the no beer? Well, they sponsored. They paid so, money to sponsor, did they not? Yeah. So right now, as we're talking, I'm actually watching the Canada-Belgium game. So this is the first time Canada has been in the World Cup since 1986. I don't think we're expecting a lot, but we're hoping they're going to surprise the world. We do have the Women's Soccer Olympic champion. So we're decent at soccer, maybe not the men. But all right, I don't know if you watched a documentary on Netflix that talks about Mm -hmm. FIFA and basically the corruption that goes behind it. To see Qatar, like a small country in the Middle East, like tiny, I think it's less than 3 million people, right? That got the World Cup. Like how much did they pay? FIFA is the most corrupt sports governing body in the world. And they agreed, look, we're going to have designated areas that you're going to be able to buy beer. Obviously, Qatar is very religious. They don't drink. But to host the World Cup, one of the world's premier events, if not the world's premier event, you were going to allow these areas that people are going to be able to drink. Two days before, they're like, yeah, we lied. So Budweiser is now stuck selling their zero alcohol beer which I'm pretty sure a lot of non-Qataris are not very happy. So this whole thing is so corrupt. Soccer is a corrupt sport, but I am watching it. I'm kind of hoping that Canada paid off some people and we win because it's probably what's going to happen. But anyways, that's my thoughts on all of that. <laughs> okay, Serge. What's your thoughts? Okay, what's your thoughts all. on this? No so, beer. So listen, FIFA. you know what, Serge, whether it was 75 million or 75 billion, you know the old saying, a fool and his money are soon parted? I don't care. I did watch the documentary. Everyone knows that you have to bribe your way in. That's the way they do business. If Budweiser is that foolish to think that they are going to change a country that is so entrenched in their religion to allow them to drink beer. It just screams, somebody is a bit of a sucker. 
why would you believe them? Even if you had it in contract in writing, you know, somebody should have probably Googled a little bit about Muslim religion because there's no way that they would allow them to drink. Anyways, it was almost comical. Like everybody in the world watched the FIFA Netflix series, except Budweiser. (laughs) They didn't realize they were dealing with extortionists, you know, that they'll take your money. They'll take your 75 million. Thank you very much. There'll be no refunds. Yeah, it seems crazy. It seems crazy. It but there's so many other stories about all the migrant workers that have died building that crazy state. And they still life. went ahead with it. They still went ahead with it. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Anyway, let's move on. One of my favorite shows when the boys were a bit younger was The Walking Dead. At the season finale, they always have commercials that are kind of spoofing advertisers using that Walking Dead sense of humor. I'm a big fan of Ryan Reynolds. I am too. And he has a marketing company called the Maximum Effort, which is a line from Deadpool. What I found interesting, though, was Deloitte decides to run an ad. It's a recruitment ad in the zombies, walking dead style. They want juicy brains. <laughs> so I thought it was really clever. I know I sent you the link to it. So what did you think? It, it didn't really hit me in any positive way because it just seemed like a bad ripoff of the Upwork ad that everyone saw like a month ago that was extremely creative. I guess the good sign or the interesting sign of it for Deloitte is they decided to focus on recruitment in that ad instead of pitching their wares, which Mm -hmm. we still don't see a lot, still very rare. Deloitte is similar to a lot of companies right now. You would never think that in the past that Deloitte would have trouble recruiting. They would go to the top universities and have their Pick of the litter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that is not happening anymore because the generation coming into work is not as excited to work 80, 90 hours. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. One thing that was kind of interesting for me was it had a sense of humor to it. Yeah. And Deloitte and sense of humor is not two phrases I would use in the same sentence. True. They actually maybe have a personality. How can you do a zombie ad and not have it a personality, right? You're going to have to stray away from your normal brand because it's just going to, if you well, go that's what caught, That's really what caught my yeah. mind. You sent me this weekend, basically an application that you did for Air Canada. Yeah. And you seem really upset by it. Give us a lowdown of okay. what happened with you applying for this job. As part of my research, not only for the recruitment flex, but also in my day job, I always want to understand what is the job seeker experience. So I will often apply for jobs as a job seeker to see how bad is it? How long does it take me to apply? Does this make sense? I applied for a $17 an hour job with Air Canada for a customer relations rep. And I was as difficult as I could possibly be to see would they still contact me. So in other words, I'm not willing to work weekends. I'm not bilingual. And I intentionally did not fill in some fields and didn't finish the application. And I wanted to see, did I get reminders? Were any of them personalized? What is their process? I let the application go stale for a number of reasons. And I get an email from Air Canada telling me that they regret to inform me that because my time ran out in the application process, that I cannot reapply for this same job For six months from today's date. First of all, what it said to me is that they're completely out of touch with the fact that job seekers have options. 
And there had to be a reason when you have a fail to apply. And there was no attempt to see if perhaps there was a reason that I didn't complete the application. The abandonment rate was completely missed. If there's any talent acquisition leaders out there at Air Canada that wants to comment, give me a call. Because to me, it was like barring someone to reapply to your job for six months. I mean, I just felt like your feet must hurt from being shot. Yeah, I'm not surprised though. I've dealt with with Air Canada in the past. And for these types of roles, depending, where did you apply? Which market? In Calgary or another market? Yeah. For some of these yeah. roles, you would be blown away, especially in certain parts of Canada, of how many people apply for these jobs to get into Air Canada. And I've seen there, some people will apply 10, 11, 12 times in a row. So there's got to be a history that comes back and says they're getting a consistent amount of people that are just reapplying that are just not qualified for the role, even though it's a $17 an hour role. I totally get that. To me, actually, I liked it being like, okay, well, I'm not going to waste my time. I'll see if I'm still interested in six months. But it's kind of like, probably you shouldn't apply for us type of thing based on... Oh my God, I'm going to have to disagree, Serge, because I believe that their system is actually set up to encourage people to apply to 10 different jobs or to apply 10 times over. Because you have to set up a profile... Once you've set up a profile, you can apply to your heart's content to every single open job. That is an Air Canada problem. That is a applicant tracking system configuration problem. That's the whole argument against the register to apply because it encourages this behavior. Now they're saying you can't reapply for this position for six months. I think this is completely disconnected from anything that's job seeker focused. It's assuming that if we rejected you once, we don't ever want to talk to you again. Yet in the same email, they go on to say, oh, be sure to set up job alerts. Like, Can I apply or can't I? I'm not saying there's no opportunities in this email. I don't disagree with a lot what you're saying. I'm just saying it didn't hit me as hard as you because I've seen way worse. And I can see a company like Air Canada get so many applications of the same people applying to job, how it's worded. Yes, I completely agree. It was basically like a nice fuck you, don't apply again. But let's be nice. You can set up job alerts is the message I got here. It's contradictory. Like it's just, it's so bad. Anyways, so if Air Canada is wondering why it's such a shit show, this is why. Look at their application process. All airlines are a shit show when it comes to applying from what I can see. Obviously, the smaller airlines do a way better job. But if you look in Canada, WestJet has always had very similar challenges. And Air Canada is probably always the worst. Like Air Canada is so bureaucratic as Mm. an organization Mm -hmm. that I am not surprised to see this. I would compare Air Canada to applying to a government. This seems like something that the government would send you, right? It does. Okay, jumping into recruitment insights. So I'm going to kick off with a news story here in Canada once again that talked about a job seeker who had really great experience, but it was foreign experience. It wasn't Canadian experience. And she happened to be in HR, had come to Canada and was legally able to work in the country, but after applying for like 300 jobs, had no job offers and just so discouraged. And so the news article called out the fact that there still remains, even though we are saying, oh, we can't find workers, 
can't find the right skills to fill our jobs, we're still seeing new Canadians devalued. That is, we're not recognizing that if you led an HR function in another country, that somehow that's not good enough to come and work in HR here in Canada. And I'm picking on HR because it just happened to be in this article. If we're going to say that Canada is open for business, yet employers are saying, no, I need Canadian experience from job seekers, and then complain that they can't fill roles. It really is a complete disconnect from industry and what new Canadians are led to believe that there are jobs here in Canada. Well, I think there's two points here. What she mentions, experience is experience, and I don't agree completely. I don't think HR, as an example, is always going to be the same in every country. I've seen it. I've been in that position working with different people coming from different countries, and there is a gap. Let's not even try to hide that. There is a gap in their knowledge of how Canadian HR works, the laws, the roles, how HR is structured in different areas is completely different. But it doesn't change what we're trying to do here. Let's give them the resources to be able to understand and learn what we're doing in Canada. It's, instead of saying we're just not going to hire them, it's a lot easier for us to put a plan in place to be able to give them the resource and the skills for them to be successful in HR or whatever type of role in Canada. It's interesting, especially on the tech side, because uh, in my day job, we had a tech event where we had a lot of employers and we had a lot of job seekers. An employer in particular was saying, I need data engineers. And then when we're talking to job seekers, everyone there was a data engineer. And like, where's the disconnection here? Because you should be able to be a data engineer in whatever country you're in. There's a little bit of a mixture of both. But if you've done HR in India, it doesn't mean you can step in and do HR in Canada on day one. I just don't think that's true. I know a lot of people will feel different, but I don't think that's the case. To a slight degree. The fact is, if you have worked in HR, say you've got 10 years of working in the UK, it's not a big fucking stretch. Nope. Seriously. Um, how hard could it be to get up to speed on what our labor laws are? But to devalue your 10 years of experience of running an HR department in Ireland, come on. Are you serious? I know I'm pointing out English speaking countries, but the fact that it's not Canadian, it's just an excuse. Because even if you hired someone who worked down the street for a Canadian company with 10 years of experience, you would have to pay them the 10 years experience rate versus using this excuse. It's not Canadian experience. Whether you hire the person down the street or somebody who's got 10 years of working in South Africa, you're going to pay the person from South Africa less. I honestly believe that, Serge. When we talk about devaluing, that's really what it's saying, is you really need to come up to speed on Canadian experience. The fact is, the way each company does it is going to be slightly different. You're still going to have to learn how they do things at your new employer, even if you're coming from down the street or across the world. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but also I think we have to have a realistic picture of, of what that looks like. Really, you mentioned at the start about say, Qatar being a major cultural difference. Say, hiring someone from Qatar coming into Canada, isn't there going to be an impact of a different way of how we treat people, how we look at laws? There is a cultural difference. Serge, say you're working for an American company in Qatar. 
You don't mean to tell me that is directly transferable, relevant experience. In fact, it's probably more complex than working with Ontario labor law. Seriously, it really still is discrimination at its finest. I don't disagree, but also I think there's a lot more to it in saying, hey, you have 10 years experience here. We're going to pay you the same as someone that has 10 year experience in Canada. Yes, because they're being racist. I, uh, no, I, I think yeah, that's a are. whole lot. Yeah, yeah. they are. So Shelly, come on, search. Shelly, if I go to South Africa, am I going to be paid exactly the same as someone has been doing the role in South Africa for 20 years as I've been doing in Canada for 20 years from day one? If I worked for Unilever Canada and I... We're not talking about we're transferring. Well, hold on a minute. No, that's not what we're we're saying. We're disregarding what their experience is. So say I worked for Pfizer in South Africa in HR, a global company. You mean to tell me I can't pick it up that quick coming to Canada? I think there is a gap. I don't think so. I think it's a matter of weeks before you're up to speed on labor law. It's not a big stretch. If I went to India tomorrow, I would not be offered the same role as I am here until I have a full, deep understanding of their labor laws, the cultural norms, how people talk to each other. There is a difference. We can avoid that there is no difference at all, but it's just not true. What I'm saying here is you have to put these people in a position they can succeed when they're coming in, give them the tools so they can be as successful as quickly as possible. That's all I'm saying. But saying, hey, you had HR anywhere, you're going to come in Canada and have exactly the same job. It's just not a reality. Let's jump into the next recruitment insight. Okay. I don't know if I have been wishful thinking, but we we saw this article where Heineken Canada, it may be just a headline grabber. I don't know if this is real or not, Serge. Feel free to challenge this. But they have created some sort of, they call it the closer, a high-tech bottle opener to shut down work apps when you open a bottle of Heineken. This is like their response to send a message to their friends to end the hustle culture. You know, as we enter the holidays, it's time to shut it off. It's time to turn it off. Do you think this is real? I have no clue. There seems to be a lot against the hustle culture without understanding the hustle culture. And and I'm not 100% behind that. I do believe we all need a work-life balance and work to where we want to be. But extraordinary people do extraordinary things. If you look at all the creators in the world, They didn't work 40 hours a week, right? They worked a lot more than 40 hours a week, but that's what it takes to create something exceptional. So there's a lot of people that don't want to do that. And that's their choice. But what I'm not a fan of is kind of shaming hustle culture. Because I'll tell you, if there wasn't hustle culture, a lot of people wouldn't have these jobs. These jobs are created with people that work more than that 40 hours. And we're trying to shame those people, and I'm not completely on board. I'm not saying I want to do that. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying, but you have a choice, right? So, people that really want to drive work a lot of hours, it's their call because we see it right now. It's a little bit frustrating, actually, especially in the tech space. I'm really annoyed by tech people because they complain about working more 
than 40 hours and they're making $350,000 a year. And there's videos of the LinkedIn person, the video of the Twitter person that comes in and gets her mochaccino. Then I answer a couple of emails and I go hang out with my friends. And then at 11, I go for an early lunch and we have a two hour lunch. Then I come back, we have a couple of meetings and these are the people complaining about the hustle culture. While we have teachers, we have school bus drivers. The list goes on of working 60 hours and making $40,000, $50,000 a year. So I know what Heineken is trying to do. They're trying to hit a certain demographic of people that drink beers and don't want to work. But I am done with the shaming of hustle culture because I just don't think it's right. We wouldn't have all this shit if we didn't have people with grand ambitions. Wonderful perspective. I really didn't think of it that way. What's your thoughts? Thank you. Well, their angle is like this holiday season, whether you work from home or whatever, they're encouraging Canadians to disconnect and connect more with friends and family over a beer. Yeah. Okay. So, Let me jump yeah. into, there's a bunch of reports that we like to read, obviously, AppCast, Employ. Another one that mm-hmm. I'm a big supporter of is ISIM's workforce mm-hmm. report, which they just launched. And there's a couple of key data points that I would love to get your thought of. As of September 2022, employers have been receiving 21 applications per opening. That's an increase of 20% since January 22. And on average, it takes just under six weeks, 41 days to fill in open roles. That is down for 43 days. Again, what civility does that two days? It doesn't make a difference. And 70% of talent professionals reporting a candidate goes through two to three interviews before hired, which is interesting because Mm -hmm. it, it used to be a lot more. The other key points that have come out and just talking about hustle culture, when we talk about quietly quitting, at least 50% of the U.S. workforce have pulled back from their jobs or quietly quit. Not surprising, but I think quiet quitting has been going on for a long time. Generation Z is really good at coining terms. And this is one that they've coined, which is basically working 40 hours a week. Again, Shelly, I'm cool with If that's what you want to do, going into setting the priorities for the workforce. And when we're talking about employers, I can tell you one thing, Shelly, they're wanting employees back in the office and employees don't want to go back in the office. And we've been talking a long time about this, but they're hoping the boiling the frog, have them a couple of days and suddenly everyone's going to be in the office and Five years from now, everyone will have forgotten the pandemic and that people can work from home. I really do think that is where employers are right now, especially at the C-suite. 65% of CEOs that were surveyed here see a full return to work in three years. It tells you where this is going. What's your thoughts on this? Well, according to this survey... What people are saying is important to them about work is flexibility. That was loud and clear in this survey. And yes, it's very fresh. It's very recent. And there is a disconnect between that and what CEOs believe. We're going to slowly pull you back in over the next three years. That was interesting because from the job seekers or the employees perspective, if 93% of people that responded to the survey said flexibility was top of mind when deciding to apply or accept a job offer. 
the old bait and switch. I tell you, it's one thing. And then there is a plan over the next three years that all of that's going to go away. And you're just going to have to get used to it. Yeah. And this is sweet to say. Well, what I'm seeing here, a massive opportunity for organizations, right? If job seekers are telling very clearly, this is the number one important thing, who is going to win that war for talent? It's going to be the ones that figure it out, that they can have people working remotely because we're going to start seeing the big players like draw in the people. And then it's an opportunity for startups, smaller business, even large business being like, hey, we can get the best talent and this is how we're going to get the best talent because it's clear job seekers have been saying this and they also show it in the activity when it comes to looking for jobs. If you look at the LinkedIn data, I think it's 19% of jobs that are remote get 50% of the applications. It's very clear that job seekers are not going to forget about this, especially the top talent that has different opportunities. The other thing that employees said was important to them is traditional benefits. So healthcare, obviously in the US, that's something that you need. Mm -hmm. Dental, 401k, then little things like non-traditional benefits like mental health days and a gym membership is less important. And I think that shifted. I don't know what it was a couple of years ago. We talked about this last week, right? What was super important to us two years or a year ago has gone down on the list. What seems to stay consistent, whether it was what we quoted last week and this week, is there's still a clear message about flexibility. Whether that is you don't need to ever come in the office or we have flexibility as in when you get the work done or where you get the work done. That is the one consistent theme, even if we look at any industry sector but mostly the office job type sector. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of really public type of situations that is going to play out during this time as well. The Twitter situation is very interesting, right? Because it's laid off. I think they're down to 20% of the workforce they were before they came. And that 20%, he strongly believes he needs hyper teams of together working long hours and being in sync next to each other. And that's going to cause a lot more productivity. I don't think it's going to work because just looking at the shit show that Twitter is right now, but you never know, right? I still think there's a debate of who's going to be most successful and what type of model and that will play out in the next year. But the other factor too is a change in guard and leadership. As the boomers retire, which they're retiring at a rapid pace, Gen X is that middle. But I think when we start seeing millennials being the CEOs, we're going to see a completely different approach to work and going into how we dealt during the pandemic. But that's it. So Shelly, thanks again for a great episode. And we will talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Bye now. How much do you understand the future of finance. I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.